0: Now open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 50 and 51. No, no. 51 and 52. It's the only second time I've done this. So I'm getting used to it. Here we go. 51. It says, then he, that is the boy Jesus, 12, went down with them, that is Mary and Joseph, his now 20-something parents, still peasant hippies, and he came to Nazareth, that is the podunk hillbilly. Backwoods, Sticktown, Nazareth, and the Bible says this, and he was subject to them. That is, he was submitted to Nazareth, to Mary, to Joseph, to, to be in twelve. Remember when you were twelve? Wasn't that horrible? You know, thirteen is just tough. Middle school is tough. It's hard, it's confusing. Primarily, it's confusing and tough because as a twelve or thirteen-year-old, you know everything, but nobody else seems to know you know. You're stuck. And as you become a teenager and adolescent, even further on, you know more and more than everybody, but nobody else knows. Then, when you get to college, you know more than your professors, more than these working-class adults. You know, but nobody else knows. And Jesus, though, who truthfully at age twelve did know everything, okay, he was greater than his parents. He knew more than them. He was—it sounds inflammatory—but he was better than them. And what did he do? Submitted to him. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Want me to help with the whatever? By the way, I created you. <laughs> but don't get it twisted, I'm here to serve you. I mean, come on, it's crazy. Luke's writing this down because when he interviewed Mary as an old woman, he said, Tell me about the boy Jesus. Tell me. And she told him. And then we went back and it was crazy. After the temple, after Jesus was in the temple and he was with the scholars speaking and listening and, and all of that, he just went back to Nazareth and from 13 to 14 to 15 to 17 to 20 to 25 to 30, he was just—he insub- a great kid. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And Luke said, wow, I'm going to write that down. That's going to make the article because that's important. Because Jesus at age 12 knew more and was worth more than his earthly parents, mere mortals, He, in his immortality, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but instead he made himself. Made himself a slave, a servant. He took his godliness off and said, you know, I'll I'll just go ahead and shed this for a second so I can serve you. Submission. Not a good or popular or fun word in our culture. We don't like to talk about it. Submission. (sighs) Let's let's keep reading. I don't want to get all get all into it yet verse 51 right there in the middle but his mother kept all these things in her heart this is the second time luke has recorded this saying from mary when jesus was born swallowing cloths some shepherds showed up hey angels on high just told us about this bro god bless you good luck and she kept that she's like oh that's weird angels told you guys you guys are shepherds you guys are weirdos angels? How many? Thousands, really, for my son? And she kept it in her heart. And as Luke interviewed her later, she's like, I didn't know what was happening. Like the whole time, at his birth, I really didn't understand. At age 12, I just, I didn't fully get it. And as life would continue on, maybe you've experienced this, in the middle, right where you're at, you're in the middle right now, just so you know, you have no idea what's going on. You want to, you think you do, you need to, I gotta know what's gonna happen. (laughs) Mary, in her latter years, would say, in my former years, I didn't know. I just held tight. I didn't get it. And you, if you have a rearview mirror of your life, you can look back and say, man, that was crazy then. But now I see it. And all I could do at the time was hold on. Right now today, that is your best move, your best play. You're tripping about something. Something is stressing you out, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your finances, whether it's your health. I don't know how this is going to work out. You need to, what Mary did, hold the Lord near and dear to your heart. Trust him. He's going to work it out. You will. There's, I got so many memories of chapters of my life where I was stressed out, freaked out, weirded out then. And now I look back and say, oh, man, remember that? That was crazy. That was crazy. And if I could just tell myself then, look, chill, try decaf. It's fine. Try it. You're just fired. Try it. And so I want to tell my now self, hey, you know what? I bet the Lord has this figured out too. I bet you he does. I bet you I can really just relax. I can let go and let God, and I can trust him in this. Well, Mary Mary did that. Look at verse 52. What's the fruit of Jesus' subjection to his parents, his submission? And Jesus increased, even though he humbled himself low, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That is exactly your goal today. I want to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with man and God. I want that. I want favor. Who do I have to kill to get it? <laughs> and the Lord says, whoa, bro. turn down for what? No, no, no. You don't have to kill to get it. You need to lower yourself and you'll get it. Humble yourself. Well, check this out. Fast forward 18 years to verse 1 of chapter 3. 18 years go by. Non-recorded. Nothing told about those 18 years. It says this. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar pontius pilate being governor of judea herod being tetrarch of galilee and his brother philip the tetrarch of ituria and the region of traconius and lysias tetrarch of abilene while annas and caiaphas were high priests the word of god came to john the son of zacharias in the wilderness <sighs> did you how many of you guys memorize verse one in sunday school you know That was like your favorite verse, your go-to verse. You know what my favorite verse says is in the 15th year of Tiberias. You're You're like, what is he talking about? We'll talk about what Luke's talking about in a minute. It says, though, introducing J the B, John the Baptizer, verse 3, and he... J the B went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. J the B the last Old Testament prophet. Preaching here in the New Testament, yet an Old Testament prophet. Preaching a baptism of repentance. Different than our baptism we're going to do on Easter Sunday. Different than what we did on Thursday there at Agate Beach. Our baptism is not a baptism of repentance to get saved, to convert, to be accepted as this was. Our baptism is one of acceptation, reception. I've already saved. I've already been identified with Jesus' death. Burial and resurrection, that's why I get baptized. I believe he died, was buried, and came up out of the tomb. This, though, before Jesus, was the truth. Because before you get grace, you always must get truth. Okay, the truth. Grace is on the heels of truth, so close. It's so, so close. Grace. I don't even think that there is a heel. As a matter of fact, if you take a quarter, and there's one side as heads and one side as tails, which side is the quarter? Yes, they both are. And the attributes of God, grace and truth, truth and grace. And here, J the B comes into the wilderness and says, guys, gals, Jews, the chosen, y'all need to repent. And y'all need to get baptized. And y'all need to change everything about you. (gasps) And the Jews, the religious Jews, the ones who were accepted by birth, so they thought. They would say, I was born this way. I'm a child of Abraham. He'll go in to dissect that. He said, no, 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 no. You're all messed up. You need to get things right and prepare a way in your life for Jesus. And then Jesus would come on the scene. And and next week we'll see Jesus arrive. We won't get there today because I talk too much. Look at verse 7 with me just for fun. though. I want you to see John the Baptist's sermon. He's now gathered. Imagine this. Just go there. You need to think this through. He's gathered a crowd of onlookers and thinkers and listeners in the wilderness to hear his message. The guy's a little cuckoo in his labesa, okay? A little crazy in his head. Clothed in camel skins, eating honey bugs, okay? Locusts and honey, You don't, don't try eating locusts without honey. If you do the honey part, it's, it's not bad, it's not bad. Dreadlocks, clothing in camel skin. This guy goes out into the region of the Jordan and starts yelling at people, verse seven, here's his sermon. And then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you family of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What are you even doing here? Verse 8, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and don't think to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. He's making fun of them. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And I'm just going to level with you. As a preacher, this isn't the best way to start your sermons you know you bunch of snakes what are you doing here who warned you oh you think you're so good you're like a rock you know it's like uh okay i I feel i feel oddly loved and convicted you know (laughs) and yet this prophet this preacher this old testament saint fulfilling isaiah chapter 40 prepare you the way call people to repentance Clean up. I'm on the way. Jesus is here. Do something. Let your repentance be seen in your lifestyle. If indeed you are a child of God, you'll act like one. You'll look like one. It's what's going to happen. And yet the children of Israel, the Jews, hadn't done that They'd gone their own way. It was a very difficult time in their nationality. Let's study this now for our sake. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to get into your word and study it and make application for our lives. And we're going to hope with your power to see assimilation in our steps. That way we would be different. No one here wants to uh, play games or waste this time we have, but instead we want to hear the truth. And we want to believe the truth and have that truth set us free. So I pray, Lord, for a fire to be kindled within each one of us, that integrity would grow today, that repentance would be understood and would be participated in, and we would all grow up, every man and every woman would say, you know what, I'm going to do it. What do I have to lose? I'm going to follow this man. I'm going to follow this king. I'm going to follow the word. Lord, I pray for your help as your preacher today, that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to do, Lord, what only you can do. Be glorified, and may we find ourselves edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I just love studying the Bible. I hope you do too. And I love gathering together and hearing preaching because something happens when the family of God gathers and there's exposition and teaching from God's word. It's just powerful. And what Luke, the author, is trying to encapsulate for us is the... Magnanimous spirit and personhood of Jesus Christ Jesus, I want you to know Jesus Is Jesus, Jesus From his birth to his death to his ascension Luke details these stories I asked you last week How many of you guys are impressed with the man Jesus And everyone's, oh yeah, for sure, for sure Impressed, and then we studied the boy Jesus Are you impressed with him too? Has he got your mind even more so filled with him? We saw at age 12 Jesus was in the temple Both listening and speaking he said the very first words, the red letters coming out of his own mouth, are uh, recorded. I must be about my father's business. So important that you and I have that same ideology to our lives. What are you doing in your life? How are you living? What's your point? When you make your decisions, where, where's your grid and your filter? Well, that's the father's filter. I do what I do for his glory and for his kingdom and by his permission and his power. Did you know that when you become heavenly minded in that way, you become tremendously earthly good? You bring value then to your organization and to your family and to your friends and to your team when you decide to do everything you do for God's glory, not just your own glory. It's pretty easy to do what we do for our own glory, is it not? But when we decide to, you know what? I must be about my father's business. It changes the way then you make decisions. You got lots of stuff going on. You got to get your house in order and mow your lawn. How many of you guys going to mow your lawn today? Denny. Me and Denny. Good job. Okay, a couple others. Okay, I'm mowing my lawn today because it's going to rain for 400 more days. Okay, <laughs> today and we got stuff to do, stuff to do. And God says, Hey, do this first. Set your mind on things above, and then go do what you do. Do it and do it well. And Jesus exemplified that for us. We're all impressed with Jesus. Here's another question I'll ask you: How many of you guys here today want to be impressive to the people you know? Now you're in church, you think it's a trick question because it kind of is. You're like, ah, oh, no way, I'm super humble, you know. <laughs> would, never wanna, would never want anybody to be impressed with me except on Facebook, you know, or whatever, you know. Okay, let me just, when Jesus had his disciples, they were arguing over who's gonna be the most impressive. They were fighting with each other. Well, I'm gonna be more impressive than you. You're an idiot, you know, and look at what I've done. There. They, they were talking, and Jesus said, what are you arguing about? Well, who's gonna be the most impressive? And Jesus said, cool, that's awesome. Glad you guys are thinking that way. Here's how you do it, though. Don't do it man's way. Do it my way. You want to be the most impressive? Become heavenly-minded, okay? Become a servant to all. You want to be the greatest? Yeah, is that okay? Yeah, it is. Become more heavenly-focused in your business, in the way you parent in the way you are married, in the way you do your finances, and you will be a blessing and impressive and great amongst men and women. You'll be exactly what they need. That is light and salt in a world that is dark and decaying. I want you, he wants us to understand Jesus was heavenly minded, and that's what led to his ability to submit to his parents and be great and to serve in this way. And I want you all to go out here today saying, I'm going to be great, okay? Okay? I'm going to live for the kingdom. I'm going to zero my focus in on the things of God and live my life normally. i got so much to do, so many fun things to participate in. But I'm going to do it with a real sense of humility, with a real sense of understanding who I am and who I'm not. We see this subjection. Look at verse 51 again. It says, Then he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Jesus, again, knowing more and worth more than Mary and Joseph, did not use that as liberty to lord over them, but instead he said, I'm gonna be great. I'm gonna serve you guys. This idea of submission is throughout our culture. Every single one of us in here have been asked by God through his word to submit to somebody else, to put ourselves in, and should I say under authority, all of us, whether it's kids to parents whether it's humans to humans, Ephesians chapter 5, whether it's wives to husbands, whether it's husbands to Christ, whether it's the body to God, whether it's citizens to the government, whether it's our nation to our president, what? Oh, but I know so much more. Really. But I'm so much better. Really. I will never submit. Okay. Did you know it's promoted in our culture to be rebellious? It's crazy. Don't Don't be deceived. It is promoted in our culture to boycott, to riot, to protest, to to flex your muscle and say, I will not submit. And when you do that in any given way, whether you're a three-year-old to a parent, you ever seen that go down? I don't know where they learned that. (laughs) It it doesn't matter. You are the exact opposite of your Savior. It doesn't matter. But, But they're wrong. Yeah, okay. Jesus entered into this society and submitted fully. Even to the Roman government at that time, that was absolutely corrupt, and on the cross let Roman guards nail him to the tree, spearing him, praying for them. Submission is not truly submission unless you have a degree of disagreement. If you submit to everyone you agree with, it's not submission anymore. God has asked you on purpose I'm going to put people over you, I'm an American you can't put anybody over me, and we start to grumble. Here's the thing. Submission brings out of you heavenly characteristics that will never be seen in you without that opportunity to submit. You want to be great. God says, okay, I'm going to have you serve somebody then. In true humility, serving them, esteeming them as better than yourselves. And you will be set free, and you will be used, and you will find yourself... As it says in verse 52, read it with me, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I like all of that. Goodness. And I, maybe like you, have shown my teeth a time or two to the systems around me that tell me what to do and how to do it. Do do you not, you go into someone's service and say, I would like to get this. Oh, we don't do that. You have to go this way. Can I talk to your boss? I always do that. I always ask for the boss i'm a rebel i want to do it your way i want to do it my way my way's better than your way don't you understand that we see this as youngsters all the way through and man everybody you know so much more than other people and that ideology is it's anti-christ and so we see this verse 51 and 52 that jesus went to nazareth and he subjected himself to mortals <sighs> to show us that it could, could be done as an example. The opposite of humility is pride and arrogance. How many of you guys just love prideful people? When I mean, you see that person, you're just drawn to them, and they're so prideful and arrogant full of themselves. Anybody want to hang out with them? Then we're going to call them, we're going to invite them over. You just, we know, we're like, eh. And yet we're so unaware at times that that's how we are, in our fallen flesh, in our fallen nature. God doesn't want us to be that guy or that gal, and so he built this idea, this rule of submission my question, I guess, would be, how submitted are you? And until you, until you decide, decide to be submitted, I'm going to submit to God's word. His, his word's over me. I'm not going to argue. He didn't ask me to be the chief editor of his word. Lord, oh, I noticed a couple things in here. I don't know if you're aware of that. You know. He asked me to submit to it. When you submit to it, you'll get peace. When you submit to the people that are over you and in the relationships you're in, oh, I'm telling you right now, there's peace. The opposite of angst fired up trying to right every wrong don't try and right every wrong you'll end up being wrong instead trust the lord again christ on the cross He could have came down and righted so many wrongs oh you guys are totally blowing it you're totally doing everything wrong you're dead you're dead you're dead he he said no no i'm just gonna submit to the cross i'm gonna trust the peace you get From trusting God and his ability to protect you. Did you know that some of the forms of submission that God's asked us to live under, especially in the parental unit, it's seen most clearly, that God has asked children to be subject to their parents because parents are in authority over their kids. And yet kids come out of the womb, like, who's in charge here? Because I'm the new boss. (laughs) Don't they? They have this attitude and you tell them what to do and they have that three-letter word question they ask, starts with W, rhymes with I. Why? Why? And they just have this attitude about them. I don't know where they get it. But as parents who are in subjection to God, living and serving for the benefit of their kids, obey God and raise their kids, the idea is that those kids would be set free if they would just obey their parents and live in submission. They would be so blessed. It would be so great. God's intention for you is to set you free from your angst from your stress over your boss right now that just doesn't see things your way. And man, you gotta you gotta listen. How, how fun is that? As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I I see so many people on Facebook talking about politics that are not politicians. And I just sit there, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Now, if you're a politician, you better talk about politics. But you probably don't live in Newport, okay? Go to the go to the Washington. And there's so many people that are, oh, sharing it, and and I'm like, well, you look really bent out of shape, and you're actually not fixing anything. I think you might have got tricked. (laughs) I think you might be duped at this point to being all balled up into, and it's not, and I would just say that goes into so many, God God says, hey, do it this way, and you'll be stoked. You'll, You'll gain favor and stature and wisdom amongst men and God, and you'll be at peace, letting other people deal with their problems, okay? Those are their problems. You deal with your problems. Submission, God's actually created it to protect you, to give you peace. I've got a dog, she's three years old, her name's Kaya, she's a beagle. So she's got some hunting instincts built within her. And so because of that, we've created submission for her within the household. She submitted to me, she knows I'm the alpha, I'm the big dog. And so there's certain rules that protect her. She's not allowed to go off leash. Some dogs are. You who have dogs that go off leash, I envy you. I don't know how you do it. Your dog's like, oh, I'm just outside. I'm not going to go all rebel on you. and crazy. When my dog, Kaya, gets out, if, if she does, which happens on accident, if she gets out, she runs and then stops and looks back at me, and we make eye contact. Kaya, get back here. And Kaya looks at me and takes off the other way every time. <laughs> this happens all the time. And for my kids' sake, I pray she doesn't get hit by a car. For my kids' sake. <laughs> <laughs> and for the car and everything else. I'm like, oh, Lord. So much, there's so much danger out there. She doesn't know. She is on a trip. Here's the thing. She comes back every single time, eventually. And I'm, we know this, and there's danger. There's much, she may not come back one time. But she comes back, and when she does, she's wet, muddy, smells like garbage. I mean, she just is a crazy person. She goes out. I don't know what she does. But when she comes back, she's like, she's got the same look in her face, you know, tail between her legs. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, same thing. And she spends the rest of the night in the crate, and she knows, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Listen, simp- God says, hey, I got some rules for you. And in your rebel heart, mine too, we test the waters. Really? we'll I'm go out here and see how it goes. And we go get muddy. Cars almost run us over. Come back dirty, humbled. Oh, man, that wasn't cool. Oops, sorry, God. He's like, I love you. Get in the crate, get in the crate. <laughs> There's so much freedom. I'm telling you what, it's a secret. Freedom to letting God be God, letting God be the rule maker. It's easy. The, the book of Romans actually says, if you don't want to live in fear of authorities, don't break the law. It's real simple logic, okay? Staying out of jail, one one if you don't want to live in fear, just live in peace and trust the Lord. And so I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely impressed with Jesus to see him there land in Nazareth and subject himself, trusting that the Lord, and isn't it crazy that he subjected himself to this, some earthly parents that probably blew it. They didn't know. They totally were blowing it. So, so too with your employers and your government. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're doing their best, we think, like they're trying, making huge mistakes, employers and governments and parents. We, we don't know. And yet, what was God able to do with the life of Christ? Kind of a lot in his subjection. And you could be like Jesus and say, Well, I got to save the world. This whole Nazareth gig's not going to work out. This whole peasant hippie parent thing, I don't know, God. I think we should upgrade. And I, don't... I think when you submit to the Lord, whatever it is today, say, All right, I'll do it. I'll do it. And God, I trust you for the future. I remember one time at the Ashton Christian Fellowship. We didn't have a landscaper that year or the next and so in my job description they said luke you're the landscaper we got three facilities and nine acres and all the rest you got to keep that in order and i just thought oh that sounds real fun and i remember specifically it was two days long two days per week i just worked all day long mowing and blowing and growing and making everything right and I remember I was kind of bitter about it one day, mowing the lawn, thinking, Lord, I'm not sure how anybody's going to hear the gospel while I'm mowing the lawn, lots of lawns to mow. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, Luke, can, how do people get saved anyways? Is it by you or is it by my will? You do what you're asked to do right now. Okay, I'm going to use you. Don't, don't worry about that. You do what you're asked to do right now. And right now, there's people here, husbands and wives, bucking at the system of marriage. Well, if he just would, and if she just would, and uh, uh, posting and share. Stop. Submit to the Lord. Submit to who you are in the Lord. Find yourself an instant peace and say, God, would you take care of all this? Would you take care of all this? Because I can't. It's out of my hands. Well, he does this, and he grows, and Mary kept all of this in her heart and had no idea what was happening, but God had a plan the entire time. This idea of humility and submission is, again, foreign. It's looked down upon. It is not paraded. It is encouraged for you to be an anarchist, to be belligerent, to be a rebel, to do it your way, carve your own path, define your own systems, what's right and wrong. This is right for me. You can't tell me what to do. It's it's applauded. And really, humility is comes through two different pathways. Humility either comes through humiliation, the hard way, like my dog Kaya, or humility comes through submission, where you choose to, I'm just going to choose, I'm going to be okay with this. I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to submit to my fellow man. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the most impressive person in all of Newport. How's that? Oh, you should see this truck, bro. Oh you should see these muscles I'm going to be the most impressive I'm going to be the most impressive person That's going to be the rest of my life's goal How? By humbling myself God will use humiliation Raise your hand if you got a little humility From humiliation Okay. Keep your hands down if you're a liar It's okay (laughs) I was at this college Bible study one time. I was a 20-year-old, and we were exchanging prayer requests to me and this dude. He's like, what do you need prayer for? I was like, I just need more humility. I, just, I feel I lack in that. And I could use more humility. He's like, you want me to pray for you to get humility? And I was like, yeah, it sounds right. And he's like, you better put a helmet on, bro. And he, he <laughs> prayed for me. And I kid you not, two months later, I went through some of the most humbling, upside-down, not-whole-backwards times of my life. And, amen. And the Lord connected the dots and said, remember when you asked for humility? Well, you weren't going to do it yourself, so I did it for you. <laughs> Humiliation can be redeemed. Failure can be redeemed into humility. But you don't have to go through that route. You can also receive humility through submission. Yep, it's me. When I go to the jail to visit... There's always two attitudes on the other side of the glass: contrition, humility, and repentance. Okay, There's just, I love those guys and gals. I, I, I like extra time with them. Just man, I was visiting with one guy recently, and he had his court date and his release coming up. And he said, "You know what? I'm honestly, I don't know if I want to get out yet." Young man, I said, "I don't, I don't know if I'm ready." I was like, "Dude, I, I said, I don't know what God's will is for you either." but I like, your, I like what you're saying. There's other guys, though. Grab the phone, start talking to you. Oh, man, my lawyer hasn't seen me, my P.O., you know, and this. And man, I was like, you know, man, would you put some money on my books, man? You know, come on. And I'm like, you're in jail, dude. Like, you didn't get here on accident. You didn't, like, book a hotel and it ended up being the jail, you know, and you got tricked. Like, that's a jail. No, you blew it. And yet there's this inability to humble yourself at times, Humiliation comes through, or should I say humility comes through humiliation and or submission. That's just the rule. Jesus here shows us this, that he's not, uh, not above it or below it. He did it. So let's practice that. Let's do that. Let's read the next verse. Jumping ahead. Now, isn't it interesting to you that from verse 52 to verse 1 of chapter 3, Luke doesn't record the next 18 years, not even a blip, Jesus' first job. When Jesus got his license, you know, all that stuff. Record it. It, it, recorded. it happened. Jesus lived with integrity and humility the whole time. Yet I find this in the Bible. The Bible records often the highlights and the low times of the men and women of the scriptures to teach us illustrations. The highlights, oh, in the low points. Ugh. Both of them give us encouragement. If you've ever read the book of Acts, it's 28 chapters in length, and it details four decades of the first church. Okay. For, and it's all the highlights and a few low points. And if you read it fast, you're likely to consider, "Man, the first church was crazy. Miracles every single day, and everywhere they went." And really, it's not true. God is doing stuff on the days that are notable, and He's doing stuff on the 18 years that are just normal. And that's a word for somebody here today that maybe has 18 years or 18 months of just normalcy, and you're like, "Well, I guess I miss the team. I miss the squad. I'm just a B apostle, not an apostle." God doesn't have a plan for me, you know, whatever. they eh, eh. Let God do what he wants to do. God's going to resurrect something and do something. 18 years later, Jesus is 30 now. John the baptizer is 30 and 6 months. And this is what happens, verse 1. It says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Tracona, Titus, or whatever that word is, Lysonius and yeah, tetrarch of Abilene, and all these places, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests as well. Well, that's when the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. What a run up in detail to J the B starting his ministry. Why would Luke do this? Why would Luke include six leaders of that day, political and religious, six men, historical, real figures that were in charge to help us detail when J the B did what he did, therefore ushering the way to see what Jesus did. He did it because there was skepticism, criticism, Study of God's word and truth, and so Luke said, "Hey, let's just let's use six eyewitnesses. So when you do this study historically, you'll be able to verify, if need be, that this book is legit." As a matter of fact, other books that have been written about God, not the Bible, I like to study them because they're real easy to pick apart. Jehovah's Witness Bible, their renderings and changings, the Book of Mormon, book, not a Bible. The, the, just the historicity, like wait, let's study this out and you double click on it two or three times and the whole thing poofs and goes away because it's, it's not real, it's made up, it's fake, it's false. And yet when you take this book and you double click on it and you keep going, pretty soon you're so deep you get saved. Because <sighs> the more you check it, the more you study it, the more you criticize it, the more you laser scope it and you're, whoa, 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 whoa. I guarantee you, this book is legit. As a matter of fact, check this out. People who've done that for centuries and millenniums, read this verse and took this book and threw it away because of verse one, because it says Pontius Pilate. And there had been no historical evidence of Pontius Pilate at all ever until 1961. They said, Pontius Pilate, you guys are making this up. There's nobody but then. God allowed for the rains to cease, the Nile to lessen, construction to begin, Israeli pilots to fly over the Mediterranean Sea coastline, seeing something they'd never seen before under the salt water and under the sand, Herod's Praetorium, the Caesarean Maritima is what it's called, and they began to excavate it and unearth it and dig, and they found all this crazy stuff where Paul gave his defense to Agrippa and to Festus and to all these people and appealed to Caesar. All of that was unearthed in 1961, which led to then the... Discovery of what's known today as the Pilate Stone, where on this Pilate Stone it says Pontius Pilate, Perfector of Judea, the ruler of Judea, just in the same time period. There it was the whole time, and all the critics grew deftly silent. Did you know that the Hittites are mentioned throughout the scriptures over and over, and yet there had been no artifacts or proof that the Hittites existed? And so people took this book and threw it in the ocean and said, It's all made up, fictitious, just like the Book of Mormon. Until 1861, 1834, I get my dates confused. I wasn't there when it happened. 1834, a guy by the name of Felix is digging around in Turkey. Not your Thanksgiving Day Turkey, different Turkey. They're in Asia Minor. Digging around and he found some writings and all kinds of records detailing the nation of the Hittites. And that wasn't the first time. Now they've been proven over and over and over again. The Bible said it the first time. Did you know that if you're a smart archaeologist, you'd get a book (laughs) and you'd read it and say, where does it say to dig? And you would... Okay, so there's where it says. and you, it, They do it now. And you go dig for the walls of Jericho. The walls that on the seventh day... Fell down. Where's these walls at? Start digging. You'll find them. And on that day, the ground opened up and swallowed the walls. And there's the remains of the walls of Jericho. Go find them. Everything the Bible says is true. And I just love God for that. Okay? It's historicity. It's validity. But also, it's morality. You need to take it then and make an application. Well, if everything it says is true about facts and figures and peoples than what it says about morals and reality and heaven and hell and creation and everything it says. You need to take this to the Lord and say, God said it, that settles it and I believe it. My wife and I were talking about the creation evolution debate last night and I just posed this idea she was telling me that somebody was thankful that I am a creationist because God said it. And if you have a problem believing that God can create the world as he said he did, then you don't even have a God. God does so many miracles throughout the scriptures we're okay with. The very fact that when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Most of us are okay with that. We're like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. You know, go to, I go to heaven. I'm not sure where it's at, but I'm sure it's awesome. The very fact you believe that, why should you have any trouble Believing in the miracle power of God to say there was nothing and then I created it all. Okay, everything God does requires miracle power. And the evolutionist thinkers like, well, no, we gotta, we gotta make it somehow. Now. It's gotta happen over billions of years. Why? Let God be God and every man a liar. And your inability to accept God as he says he is is rebellion in its core nature Which is what we all have it okay. I'm not preaching to you guys I'm talking <sighs> The Bible's true It's legit Put your faith in it Second thought I would like to point out to you These guys that are detailed Made the Bible They're not cool dudes They're the worst Caius, Ananias Those are the guys Caiaphas Those are the guys that are Caius. my dog Caiaphas Different guy Caiaphas Ananias These guys are the ones Who sentenced Jesus to die Who sat there And wanted his death later on these Roman rulers are a bunch of goons, a bunch of, mm, you know. And God, at that time, was not intimidated by their mess, said, let's do it, John. Go preach. Jesus is coming. You need to understand the character of God. He is not intimidated by your mess or our country's mess or our church's mess if we get into a mess or your church's mess or any mess at all. He's not intimidated by it. Also, it says there in verse 2 that at this time, the word of the Lord came to John the baptizer in the wilderness. The word didn't come to Ananias, the high priest, or Caiaphas. By the way, for you Bible students, the Jews should have only had one high priest, not high priests. They had two. Why? Because they didn't care about anything anymore. One was for to please Rome, and one was to please the Jews, and neither was legit. And yet God says, I'll, I, I'm going to raise something up. I'm not afraid to get in your mess. And the word of the Lord came to a dude who was in the wilderness, a little different, dreadlocks, probably had a little funny tone to him, walking a different path. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're on a different path or in the wilderness. Can I just give you a word and say God's going to open up the word to you as well? Even in the midst of your chaos around you, all the stuff, God is not afraid to give us what we need when we need it. Look at verse three. The instructions were given to him. And he went into all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, this would have been odd and foreign to the Jews because they had what was known as national salvation. That is, I'm born a Jew, I'm good. I'm okay, like I'm born. I'm a part of the tribe, part of the system, I'm, I'm born all right. And so for John to come out to the Jews and say, get baptized for repentance of sins, that was only given to Gentiles, not born right, who wanted to convert and become Jews. You want to become a Jew? Well, you got to repent and get baptized and you'll be, you'll be a convert, not a full Jew, but you can walk with us. John the Baptist went to the Jews and says, you guys got to repent too. <laughs> Dude, you might not know who I am. Would be their response. "I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of Gad. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a national bro." You hear this a lot in our country, country too, in our culture, when you tell them about the Savior, "Hey man, do, do you know the Savior Jesus? Savior. What, what do I need to be saved from? I don't need to be saved. I'm, I'm not bad, you know? I mean I, I And mean, I'm not bad. And people have this, I have this conversation all the time, and people say, "Look, I'm okay. You're okay. They're okay. Okay? And I'm like, that's not okay. Okay? And I'm not messing with you. It's not okay. And people, I've talked to so many people. They say, look, I don't have a problem with God at all. I'm cool with them. And I stop them and say, really? Do you think he might have a problem with you? I'm glad you don't have a problem with God. That's that's probably worth something. But do you think you might be offensive to him in any way, shape, or form? (laughs) You know? I'm at peace with God. You ever heard somebody, I'm just at peace. I'm glad you found your path. I'm so proud of you. You're really, you're killing it. You're doing a great job. I I have my own path and I'm at peace with God. Really? Is God at full peace with you? Has he extended the scepter of peace to you? (sighs) Why would he not be at peace with me? That's what they would think. And that's what people think. They compare themselves to the wrong standards. The people around them. the, the, The bad to the bone folks. Well he comes on the scene The reason he came on the scene is recorded in verse 4 As it is written in the book, the words of Isaiah the prophet Saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness This was prophesied That it would happen, and again, what God says Happens God says it, that settles it, we see it It's just the way it is, whatever God says This is an 800 year old prophecy The man, preparing the way for the Lord Crying out in the wilderness It's time, John, the whole system's corrupt The government's upside down, the church is illicit Go to the wilderness and do what I said we do. That was 800-year-old prophecy, Lord. Are you sure? Positive. And he goes out and begins to preach in the region of the Jordan area. This is his message: Prepare the way of the Lord and make His path straight. Stop right there, I up here. This would be common practice in that day for when the king or governor showed up to neighborhoods and villages. They didn't have many pathways. You think they probably did, like, well, I'll take Highway 20 and 101, and I'll kind of skirt over here to 126. Listen, they had main roads that led to pathways that everybody took. And so when the king or governor would come into a village, he would take the pathway that would go right by your house, the same one that everyone takes, and they would parade these kings around. And so the message would go out, prepare the way. The boss is coming, get the trash out, make it straight, fix the roads. This is going to happen. This is a big deal. And this prophecy was given over to then Jesus Christ in their life saying, make the path straight, get rid of the junk, and make room for God in your life. A clearing for the king. And he goes on to say what happens when the king shows up. Verse 5, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Did you know that when you decide to make the path straight for God, get rid of the trash, beautify your life, when you decide to in this way of repentance, all the valleys, the low things in your life, the areas of depression and downwardness, they're brought up. All those areas in your life where you just struggle, I just feel so low today, God blesses you in those areas. And those mountains, those hills, the things that are in the way, impenetrable problems, stuff I can't get over. When you make the way straight for the Lord, those mountains are brought low. You can, you can get through it. The Bible says you can cast mountains into the sea. That is things that are in your way. He also says that things that are rough are made smooth. Things that are crooked are made straight. This is what Jesus does. This is how God wants to bless you and bless me and as we submit to him. As we say, okay, you make the rules, you make it right, I'm going to follow you. I don't. I break the rules. I'm kind of like Luke's dog. (sighs) I'll get away and I'll go cray-cray. But I'll do it your way. Because i got these valleys that mess with me. And I don't know why, but I'm down so often. i got these mountains that I just can't get over. And I've got this. It's just so rough in my life at times. Well, when you get Jesus in, everything is made right. Last night I was at a Young Life banquet fundraiser and at one point they had cardboard testimonies where a parade of students comes out one at a time with a cardboard sign that details who they were before christ lost broken dejected scared irrelevant lonely and they would come out and parade and, and show everyone and then they would turn it around found secure loved adopted guided all the and it's just it, tears come in your eyes because you we all know we know what it's like, those feelings, those emotions of being out. And then when Jesus finds you and you get blessed and come into the fold where we belong. Look at verse 6. I need you to get this. It says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the prophecy in Isaiah uh, chapter 40 uh, detailing the mes- uh, ministry of Christ. The Jews wouldn't get this or receive this. They don't like that. All flesh shall see? You mean all Jewish flesh. Like, for real. Like, not all flesh, but all, <laughs> all us. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, 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 everybody, Jew, Gentile, ins, outs, ups, downs, thems, those, and others. Everybody. And it took them, the Jews, a long time to figure that out. But this is the heart of God. And I say it to you guys. Most of us in here are probably not Jews. We're Gentiles. We get it. But we still have prejudices, don't we? Well, they'll never figure it out. Well, they 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 would never embrace Christianity. They're they're in this framework or they're in that area. Listen, God's heart is that all men and all women and all peoples should repent and give their lives to him equally. That is through submitting to the Savior and their king. Everybody, don't get it twisted, okay, in your prejudices and your small thinking. Because when you understand that God is for everyone, man, it gives you love for everyone then, and not this hierarchy and this weird in and out thing that you and I create so naturally. Well, Isaiah prophesied it. John preached it. I got a couple more verses and I'll let you go. Verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves these excuses. We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Stop right there, eyes up here. Wow. These guys show up by the droves, dozens and hundreds of people into the wilderness to hear a crazy guy preaching. Let me tell you why. Because whether you like it or not, whether they know it or not, the world, all of us want the truth. We want it. Nobody wants to be lied to. Do not lie to me. You give me a truth sandwich right to my face, please. And he got out in the wilderness and began to preach the truth, and their ears perked up, and their knowers began to beat. And they said, hey. And in verse 10, we'll get there next week. In verse 10, they say, what do we do? What shall we do? How do we fix it then? When you're in a position to receive from God the truth, the reaction is change. You ever been in that position and received truth, but you're not ready to change? It's called adolescence. You're in trouble. You've been caught. Something's wrong. And yet your reaction is, whatever. Listen. Listen truth sets you free the truth hurts the truth is not always pleasing and palatable but it is always profitable and right every single time why did all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gather to hear this for the same reason i believe this church is growing because we're doing our best to bring the truth to the surface to, to elevate God and to humble ourselves and to say God's word is true, instead of creating special categories for things that the Bible says is true, what the world does, our liberal world, is saying, you know what, let's just redefine truth. Let's say this over here is a special framework for this thinking and ideology, and let's put this in here. Let's just protect this when the Bible says that. <laughs> No, there's the truth, and the truth will lead to belief and acceptance and repentance and change. Sometimes though the truth is received and rejected and when the truth is received and rejected there is no repentance It's called godly or Sorry. It's called worldly sorrow Where you're convicted by the truth, and you're sorry that you got caught You ever been there before where you tell the older brother to say sorry to the younger sister say sorry to your sister Sorry (laughs) Whoa Tears to my eyes. That was so authentic, you know. Now give her a hug. You know. Yeah. You could see him like, you know, I'm going to get you later. <laughs> you know, whoa. That's not repentance. <sighs> repentance through the truth. Back in 1998, 1999, when the Lord was getting me out of my worldly ways, I came to a church like this that taught two things. Grace, grace of God. Oh. Man, just God's love, God's power, just the 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 beauty of God, but also the truth. And I was in a position, finally, through many wanderings and runnings, to say, I I want to submit to that God. His, his, grace and I want to I want to do whatever He says. He's right, I'm wrong. That's just the I, okay. <laughs> I'll run if you let me. Don't let me keep me in submission. I'll do it, Lord. I give you my life. I give you my life. I remember when I got arrested in 1998 for fake IDs and was cited and booked and released right there at the 7-Eleven, went back to the dorms to my drug dealing buddies, and they were all bummed. Oh, man, dude, the fuzz, you got busted, sorry. And I knew. I was like, I'm not sorry. Like, this is, this is a good thing for me. What are you talking about, bro? Like this isn't. I was like, no, this is, I needed this. This is the truth. Sandwich in my face. I'm a brood of vipers. I'm, I'm not okay. And most of my friends didn't get it. There's like 20 friends coming around me. One guy, though, named Jeb. He's listening, he's like, wait, what are you you really saying? (laughs) I said, this isn't who I want to be. I need to change everything. He says, I don't really like the way I'm doing things either. I'd like to change too. And there began to be a metamorphosis around all of us, a kind of a a cathartic effect, and we started to go to church, many, many people. But it's never going to happen to you or to your kids, to our culture, without the truth. Okay? The truth. And we're about to lose a whole generation I'm not freaking out about it because God's in charge, and I'm going to submit to him. But there's a whole generation that doesn't know the truth, wants their ears tickled, wants to just know. Can we just defi- redefine it? Because I want to I I be right. Well, no, you're wrong. You're, you're wrong, and you need to repent and change. Let me just give you a few ideas about repentance. Repentance, it's not just saying sorry and not changing. Repentance is actually changing. It's not just confessing that you need to and saying sorry, but you actually change. And repentance isn't worldly sorrow, it's godly sorrow that leads to change by God's help. It's not a, a worldly repentance that says, you know, I'm going to change or I'm sorry so things get better. You ever done that before? I'm just going to feel, oh man, it's so hot right now, I better you know, tone it down a little so things just cool off. No, no. Repentance isn't a general repentance either. Ah, you know, no one's perfect. We all make mistakes. That's not repentance. Repentance is specific, it's concise. The art of confession is something we've lost in our culture. I don't believe you have to confess to another person, although if you do, there's power. I do believe you should confess to God your sins. Lord, I sinned. This this is a sin. I'm not going to call, I'm not going to try and find a, a group that says it's okay. Okay, I need help. My thinking is messed up. Have you ever confessed that? My thinking's messed up. Well, this is the way I feel. Don't go with your feelers. Did you know your feelers are broken? Okay. I've gone with my feelers before. Don't do it. God God has given to us his book. He said, hey, you need me, Kaya. You need me, friend. You you need me. And you do. And grace and truth are sandwiched together. Their response... What shall we do? And he goes on to teach them. Well, I'll go in there. I've, it's too long now, but I'll go in there next week. And did you know that right at this time, Jesus is coming over the hill, and this Old Testament prophet, preparing the way, guys, th- the, the lamb is coming. We need to do what we can do, but ultimately, he'll do it perfectly. I can't even touch his shoe, John would say in the next couple of verses, this one. And he points to Jesus. Did you know that Moses, thousands of years earlier, the prophet pointed to the Messiah, and then Elijah and Elisha pointed to the Messiah. And then Isaiah and Jeremiah pointed to the Messiah. And 400 years earlier, Malachi pointed to the Messiah. And then right here, just moments before Jesus, John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, pointed to the Messiah. So close, he actually grabbed him and baptized him. Boom! It just happened. The new promise, the new covenant. For our rebel hearts, for our sinful ways, for our inabilities, for our broken feelers. I am a wretched mess, brood of vipers! You're like a rock that makes good excuses. And yet God's grace. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to respond to our Savior. John the Baptist pointed to him and identified him perfectly. Your choice now is to look to him as your Savior. You're not perfect. You're, you're a snake. You slithered in here. How did you slither in here? By God's grace. By God's mercy. Well, I'm not a snake. You can't call me a snake. You're a snake, you know? (laughs) Listen, submit to the Lord. Be free. Lift him up. He is so good. His grace. Jesus Christ came and lived amongst snakes. Served them. Loved them. That we might be forgiven. That we might be set free. And before we even close our eyes... If you're here this morning And you want to submit to Jesus Christ As your savior As your king And you know in and of yourself You you do have problems You're not And maybe you haven't made this decision yet This is for those who haven't made the decision yet And you say I want to give my life to Jesus I want to submit to him and let him be my savior I need him Grace and truth in my life Take over Right now everyone's looking Would you just raise up your hand right now Raise up your hand right now Amen See you guys Praise the Lord. All over the house. Praise God. Thank you. Yep. Amen. And Father, in Jesus' name, those who raised their hands may be so, so pleased in their humility and their submission to you. What I want to clarify, when they raised their hands, they weren't saying they promise, they'll, they'll never sin again. That's not, that's not what was asked. What was asked was is is their submission to the Savior, the one who didn't sin. And the hands went up. We submit to you, Father, to your Son, to the Savior and King, to the prophesied one. We ask for your help, Lord. There's a lot of life to live, a lot of things to do. We want to be the greatest. We want to walk in humility and servanthood towards others. So change hearts even today, this morning as we come to the table and celebrate who you are, what you've done. And if you raised your hand or if you're here and you need prayer this morning, there's people to pray for you during this service. Don't leave. Linger until somebody prays for you. That your spiritual life would be vital, it would grow. That you would be hot on God's trail. That you would know when you've strayed, when you've broken leash and you're gone. You would know and you would come back quick. Lord, we love you and we need you. We take communion now. We celebrate anticipating your return. Help us to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen.